Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. at Los Angeles 2023. Welcome to Out on the Lanai, the only Golden Girls podcast you're ever gonna need to listen to. Who am I? Oh, I'm Sadie Pine slash H. Allen Scott. And I'm Carrie Doherty. You should get a slash someday. You should try to find a slash, like something. Okay. Maybe a nickname or something. All right, you got it. And this is a podcast where we used to watch an episode of the Golden Girls and then talk about it. But guess what? We ran out of those episodes, as you know, because you're a longtime listener. And then what did we do? We broke down all 24 episodes of the Golden Palace. But guess what? You probably know this, too. We ran out of those episodes. So now what do we do? Carrie, all together, whatever. Whatever the hell we want. <laughs> That's right. Today, we are doing another Beyond Golden Girls episode where we cover the many film and TV projects that Betty, my phone, that Betty, <laughs> Rue, B, and Estelle did outside of the Golden Girls during the course of their careers. And today, we are doing a Rue project. Oh my gosh, we are talking about Sorted Lives which was a television show on Logo back in 2008. It lasted one season, 12 episodes that starred Rue McClanahan. It's described as a black comedy about white trash. And it was a treat to watch. And we also have a very special guest yeah. who's going to be talking to us. And it's not just like someone who was a fan of the show. Ooh. A challenge. Do you want to tell the listeners a yeah. little bit about our guest? Well, our guest is my very, very good friend, actor, producer, writer, entertainer, Emerson Collins. He is such a fantastic little nugget of a human being. I love him to death. He's so... Um, He's just so talented in a way that I think is really just sort of like you don't see a lot of those multi-hyphenates these days, you know, and he's one of them. And what's so great about what he did with this is he was a producer on Sorted Lives and he even had a small part in the actual series that would have grown, we'll learn as we chat with him because we're recording this after we chatted, We that his, his part would have grown into a bigger storyline in a second season. Also, Rue McClanahan's storyline would have grew even more in a second season too if the show had gotten a second season. So we're learning so many things about Rue McClanahan and Sorted Lives. Now, if you have never seen Sorted Lives, which Carrie had not, Carrie was completely new to Sorted Lives, you will be kind of blown away in maybe an uncomfortable way. Right, Carrie? I, I was watching this television program. I was watching a random program. episode. Program. Program. I was watching this program on my laptop and for some reason, I was on like a, we have like two Wi-Fis and like there's one that's shitty and one that's good. And I was on the shitty one and I was watching it and it was like a little pixelated. And I'm watching this scene with this fabulous drag queen. And I'm like, oh my gosh, who is this drag queen? She's amazing. I'm obsessed with this actor. Who is it? I finally got to the second scene and I was like, holy shit, that's Leslie Jordan. 
who was yeah. phenomenal on this show. Um, gone too soon. R.I.P. Leslie Jordan. Oh. Um, the show has but- so many great icons on it like television icons on it like delta burke and caroline ray and like beth grant whom i love so much and olivia newton john and bonnie bedelia i mean in addition to leslie and rue mcclain it's insane the amount of people that are on this show yes and emerson does such a great breakdown of how the show went from stage to big screen to small screen um but i do want to say for anybody listening right now Emerson has some of the wildest Rue McClanahan stories that are going to stick with me past this conversation. I heard before, never heard before, never heard before stories about Rue McClanahan. So I, I I do want to save because Emerson just gets into so much great stuff about the show that I want to save it for after we take a break, but HL and Scott slash Sadie Pines in the meantime, how are you? Oh, well, we haven't I, spoken in a week. What's I know, happening? I know that's why. Well, before before I even get to how are we, there's one more thing I have to say about Sorted Lives. Oh, yes, please. If you want to watch Sorted Lives? There are clips out there online. There are things on YouTube. But the official way to watch it now, it was on Hulu for a while, and they might bring it back. Who knows? But if you subscribe to here on Amazon, you can watch. It's here is like a subscription service on Amazon, I think here TV or something. I don't know what it is. You can subscribe to it there and you can get even get a free trial on Amazon and binge it all in like a day because they're very it's a very bingeable series. So if you want to watch along with us, we're watching episode nine and parts of 10, I believe. Right. 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 No, Ooh. just nine, just nine, just nine. Regardless. We bounced around. Bounced around, but like Rue is all over this entire series. So go watch it on Amazon or wherever else you can find it because you're smart internet people. Now back to me. I'm doing okay, Carrie. I do have a bit of news to say. Really? Uh-huh. It's not fun. <laughs> oh, I mean, really? I know it is fun. It is fun. But I have officially, this might be controversial actually, become an Ozempic queen. I uh, not for diabetes. I have I'm on Wagovi, which is like the weight loss portion of Ozempic. So so FDA approved a weight loss version of Ozempic called Wagovi, which is like a so you're not taking from people who need it for diabetes. And uh and yeah, I'm on Wagovi now. I just started it last week and I'm very excited because I was so like nervous about figuring out because of course i need to lose weight you know that's always like a thing i need to have that be a mindset of mine and i was talking with my doctor and lots of different people and we have decided to go in the govi direction and i kind of feel like i'm loving it okay yeah. i i had never heard of wagovi before uh, this really? is a very it is well it's a hollywood trend it's apparently the hollywood drug right now that everyone's talking about it's like i feel like blanche a little bit when her quick fire ways to like try to lose weight and stuff you know what i mean like yeah of course doing crazy things and i can vouch that i have experienced that in my life so many times like going through crazy diets and like doing crazy things to lose weight sometimes on very unhealthy things to lose weight and so i'm really glad that i have this because i have insurance i hate that it costs so much money for so many people it does not cost me a lot of money because i have good insurance but for so many people, it is very difficult and insurance companies are not approving it for a lot of people. So I'm just really glad I'm able to get it because I do need it, but I want it to be available to more people. So I'm just, I wanted to share my journey with all of our Golden Girls listeners because I'm sure someone else out there is also probably experiencing something very similar. I mean, we're all watching the Golden Girls on, on the couch. We probably should be watching it on a hike or something. 
Well, I'm excited for you in this new journey and you'll have to keep all of the listeners posted and we love you and support you on this. Thank you. And I will be very angry at you if you drink my um, sensible shake. Uh, <laughs> don't do that. And uh... <laughs> But I needed something to wash down the little tuna casserole thing. Oh my God. Was it a tuna casserole or was it a quiche? It was a quiche. Oh, it was a quiche. Thank <laughs> you. Wow. Well, you know, the only reason why I remember that, now you know me, I'm not one to remember the details, but I hate quiche. I love eggs. I love everything eggs. Eggs, eggs, eggs all day long. But quiche, oh, nothing worse than quiche. So you like a scrambled egg, but not quiche? I, I love, do understand there's a difference. I love a scrambled egg. I love a fried egg. I love a poached egg. I love a I love a hard whatever egg. I love all of the eggs. Hard things. boiled, yeah. Hard boiled, yes. I love that you said a hard whatever. You I were forgot. halfway there. You had I, it. Thank you. I forgot. <laughs> I, I think in podcast terms, and I'm like, time, space, quiet space. No, no, just say whatever. Go on, move on, next topic. <laughs> Um, no, I, I, but, but quiche, there's something about baked egg, like just baked egg that like just ugh, icks me out. I love the way you're saying egg right now. Baked egg. I love it. I, I don't know Midwestern, if that's like a Midwestern accent coming. Yeah. It's like very Midwestern. Wait, I, I like it. it. Egg. 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 Are you saying egg? It's got like a, it's egg. got, it's a, it's got a little Blanche Devereaux behind it. Egg. Oh, no. This episode is dedicated to her. So it fits. How are it you? Is. What's new with you? So my mama was just here um, for a week. Actually, I think, wait, when did she leave? Oh, I guess she left. She left to, yeah, she left Tuesday. So, um, so she's been gone back, back home for a week, but she was here for a week. We took little Oreo to the zoo. We took her to these gardens. Did you use Oreo to try, or did your mother use Oreo to try to pick up men? Oh, she did not, but she has a boyfriend, but she is very friendly and says hello to everybody when we're out for walks and everybody at the park and at the zoo. So I don't know. She was, there was a giraffe at the zoo that she was given some looks to. Um, <laughs> the funniest thing I, this is, I love my mother so much. The funniest thing happened. She, when she comes to visit, she brings, she um, checks two suitcases, one for her and then a suitcase with just like presents for a little Oreo. Yeah. It's very sweet. And she brought me this like Golden Girls coloring activity book that was like, you can tell a hardcore fan had made this. I wish I had it in front of me so I could plug it, but I'll put a picture of it up on our social media. Um and she brought it for me. She's like, you know, if you have any downtime, you're watching TV, you want to do like a little crossword puzzle or, a, you know, coloring. My mother did sat at my kitchen table and did so much coloring. I busted one day. She was just like, do you have colored pencils? But actually, she's from Massachusetts. So she was like, do you have any colored pencils? And I was like, yeah, let me get some. And I do. I have these nice colored pencils because when I worked on TV shows in the writer's room, my ADHD brain, I always had to color while I was working. And um and my mother, who, when she's back home, she's always like gardening, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the dog, doing stuff. When she's visiting, she has zero responsibilities. Oh. So she sat at this kitchen table in the evenings and just colored the oh. shit out of the Golden Girls. And she signed all of them. And like, it was so sweet. And I, it was just so nice because, you know, she's in her sixties. Yeah. It was so nice just to see her relax and have no responsibility and to just sit and color. Um, it was just, it was so fantastic. And she did a great job. I, 
I absolutely love that. And also I need to say is I have one Golden Girls related thing that someone, because you know how friends text us and people send us Golden Girls things all the time. Someone sent me something really weird that I have to mention before we get back, get to the Emerson episode talking about sorted lives. But before I even get to that, I love that little Oreo loves the zoo because the very zoo that you go to was had a had a deep spot in Betty White's heart. She was a big patron of the right? zoo at Griffith Park. And, and I, I posted a photo of um, <laughs> she was on the koala wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so sweet. And I love that. I love that little Oreo loves going to the zoo. It's sort of like little Oreo is a part of the GGVIP now because she gets something that Betty White loved. I will say, little Oreo, there was a giraffe who I think was trying to mate with some of the women giraffes. Oh. And so I think he was like parading. So he was like running back and forth. I don't know if you've ever seen a giraffe run. It is a beautiful, beautiful, majestic thing. But little Oreo thought it was hilarious. So the giraffe would like run and she would laugh and throw her arm up in the air and go, more, more. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> and then the giraffe would run again. And she thought the giraffe was listening to her. So it's so funny. You have all these people going, oh, look at this beautiful giraffe. Oh, it's just so beautiful. And you, my little child is going, more, more. Like arm just like, no. up in the air. <laughs> the memory of Betty White is standing right by you as she's doing that, eating her hot dog, saying, more, more, more. Oh. It was. So funny. Well, before, so before we get to the episode, um, in this week's random Golden Girls messages that we've received from my very, very good friend, Jonathan in DC, he texted me. Um, he's a fan of the Golden Girls and a fellow Jew, very good person. Uh, and he um he texted me a picture <laughs> that a friend sent to him of the golden wait, what is it called? Golden Gilfs? Gilfs. And it's a wood rockets the golden gilfs and it's a coloring book that is at the bottom says porn parody coloring book and wow of the golden girls <laughs> just that you can use a coloring book but they're sitting around the, something wicker with their tops off just in the just in lingerie and they all have amazing boobs like amazing they actually look great they look really great so if you want to see that, I don't want to post that, but you can Google it or maybe DM us if you really, really want it. But I'll send it to you, Carrie, because it's it's, yes. it's a moment. But thank you, Jonathan, for sending it. That's oh, what... my gosh. That's amazing. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Should we get to the episode? Yeah. Let's take a break and then let's chat with Emerson because we had a blast. So much good Ruth stories. Oh, my God. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. We are back, OMG, hello. I am so excited to introduce my good longtime friend and one of the stars and producers, of, right, producers of Sorted Lives, Emerson Collins. Emerson, you produced it, right? I sure did. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you all for having me. I love it. So Emerson has been a friend of mine for I don't know how many years now, a few years, before the pandemic. I mean, long yeah. before the pandemic. 
Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, our paths have crossed in the weird gay queer entertainment circles that exist in this world. And it's so wonderful to have you with your connection to Rue McClanahan. I'm so excited, you know, and I love what you all do here. It's so special and it's so fun. And it is like to be a young gay boy from the South. Like, can you, the, the idea that there would ever be any kind of connection directly to a golden girl, you know, yes. it's sort of one of those things that as a young gay Southerner hiding in a closet that you think that that would never happen because they are sort of the luminaries of our quiet oh culture. Yeah. They were like the place we could be our our private selves in public and it was okay because everyone loved them. You know, yeah. so like you weren't really revealing anything because like mama and grandma and like everybody loved them. She'd be like, yeah, me too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, gay. I mean, it's so weird. I remember when I was a kid and I mean, because so many people that are in sorted lives like Delta Burke, like Olivia Newton-John, I mean, they are huge gay icons, including Rue McClanahan yes. and many, many others. And a low-key favorite of mine is Beth Grant, who is uh, a char yes. character actress who's been in everything. She was in the iconic dinner party episode of The Office. She yes. Everything, but she's also a queer icon, I think. In and in two episodes of The Golden Girls, she played yes. Louise in Witness and she played Terry Franco in Rose Fights Back, the, yeah. you know, ladies of the Confederate, the, yeah. you know. It was, yeah, it was, it was really fun to see her, um, to see her in a show about yeah. the South. And out of all the Golden Girls, too, to be able to have Rue McClanahan, to have Blanche Devereaux yes. be the one on that show. Um, yeah. What just, it's, it was just, it was just so perfect in so many ways. And so, well, and the quick backstory for people who might not be familiar. So Sorted Lives is a big gay Southern franchise that was created by playwright, screenwriter, uh, director Del Shores. He wrote a play in 1996 called Sorted Lives that was basically his personal coming out play about his crazy Southern family with like the addition of a cross-dressing drag queen in a mental institution who wants to be Tammy Wynette, you know, standard Southern fare. And then in 2000, they made it into an indie film uh, of the play that starred Bo Bridges, Delta Burke, Olivia Newton-John, Beth Grant, Leslie Jordan, that became a, one of the big early coming out gay films that sort of exploded in the indie film world. It was huge yeah. with Southerners. It was here, huge with senior citizens. Palm Springs, California actually single-handedly put Sorted Lives, the movie, on the map. It ran in a movie theater in Palm Springs for over two years. Wow. And that wow. theater said that the movie saved their theater. So people wow. would visit Palm Springs and then they would go home and tell friends and family, you've well, got to see this movie. You know, they do say that homosexuals go to Palm Springs to die. So at least they're dying laughing with sort of uh, that is my personal plan. I will be in a thong and a caftan, like just eventually like wisping away, like as the sand like carries you off. I love that. That's my favorite part of Emerson's Instagram is just the thongs and the Palm Springs content. It you is know, if, if you can't do a caftan and a thong, look, the, also part of this and like my big story and this story and the connection to Golden Girls is so for so many of us Southern gays, there's the trappings of masculinity that were very specific to Southern gay culture that our journey out of that, you know, my, that's part of why I like laugh and joke. And I'm so it's like, I'm fine with the taffeta shooting out of my mouth on occasion and like wear a giant caftan if it makes you feel fun. Yeah. And, and that's all part of this. And so that original sort of lives play. Then in 2008, uh, Logo 
TV network. It was the third giant series. They bought a 12 episode season as a prequel to the Sorted Lives film. Hmm. And so at that point in my own personal life, I moved to Los Angeles to be in Dell's play, Southern Baptist Sissies, with Delta Burke and Leslie Jordan. I have to be the only actor that moved to Los Angeles to be in a play. Not attempting to be like in a movie or a TV show. Yeah. Uh, and we did a national tour of that play and Sorted Lives. And one of the big development executives at Logo at the time, Dave Mace, was a huge Sorted Lives fan. And so he reached Waddell and they put together this deal for a 12 episode series for Logo. And it starred many of their original film cast, including Olivia Newton John, who wrote five original songs for the wrote TV songs show. for it? I didn't know that. She, she wrote and performed songs that had never been performed anywhere. I'll back up to the story of watching Olivia Newton John record those songs. You're welcome. Um, but Beth Grant, Leslie Jordan, and then there were several cast members that couldn't do the series. And so Caroline Ray replaced Delta Burke in the series. And then the big ask of the series was who was going to play Peggy, the matriarch of the family? Because the movie starts with Peggy has hit her head on a bathroom sink in a seedy motel room while having an affair with a man with two wooden legs and dying. So the entire plot of the play in the movie was Peggy died. There's a funeral. The family has to come back together. So the events of the series take place prior to that. So obviously Peggy is now the matriarch of the family that everyone knows and loves. And so the journey to getting Rue McClanahan in the series was basically, back to speaking to your earlier point, why all of these amazing women have been drawn to Dell's work. Because real talk, in my entire adult professional life, everything we've produced is indie, low budget, or lower. Like yeah, we make yeah. movies with $3 and a roll of duct tape. But all of these iconic women come to Dell's work because he writes these fascinating, flawed, smart, sexual, interesting, complicated women. And at a certain point as an actress, you know, that whole over the age of 40 and people want you to play a grandma. Yeah. He's yeah. writing like fascinating, juicy roles for women. And that's why they show up. Well, so, so I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, I mean, because when the series started and you got Rue McClanahan, even though you have people like Olivia Newton-John and I mean, big people too, Leslie Jordan. I mean, so many big people, but I would imagine getting Rue McClanahan was like, a big get, like oh. bigger than anybody else get. Like the conversation went like this. So it was like, who is your pie in the sky person? And Del was like, Rue McClanahan, mother of everybody, of the, of the series, like Bonnie Bedelia is one of her daughters. Like yeah. we, we, have a, we need an icon thinking we'll never get her, but let's start there. So we are sitting in our production office in Shreveport, Louisiana, you're welcome, where we shot oh. this series in the dead of winter and the sweet little gay PA comes running across the, the the football field of the offices to where I'm sitting outside of Dell's office and it says, we have Ruben Clanahan online too. And I, like, we all go running into the office and even Dell's like, oh my God, oh my God. Like, it's just Rue. It's not like, oh, the agent wants to talk. It's like Rue has called with questions because she's read the script she's been sent. Because also we shot this series during the 2008 writer's strike. Dell yeah. had written all 12 episodes so there was no more, you, there could be no more writing. Then he directed all the episodes. So Dell puts it on speakerphone with three of us like standing around going, it's like, well, is this Dell Shores? Uh, yeah, yes, Miss McClanahan, uh, please call me Rue. <laughs> and then it, she very quickly in the conversation, he said, I, I never thought you'd be interested at all. And she said, I read it, I loved it. She said, I never thought at my age, I would get to play a woman in love again. Oh, that's what drew her to the show. And then she said, it doesn't pay anything, does it? <laughs> we're like, well, not, honestly, no. And she said, that's all right. We'll work it out. I'm in. 
Like it was that <gasps> oh. much wow. of a conversation. Like yeah, that's what I love about Rue McClanahan is that like, I think a lot of people forget that Rue McClanahan started in theater. She was a yes. theater actress. She worked with Dustin Hoffman. She was very proud of that background yep. of hers in New York and LA and yep. all these other places and her theatrical background. And she really was, out of all of the actresses, probably the most trained of all of the Golden Girls actresses. I mean, she yeah. was one who really came from a method acting sort of, not method act necessarily, no, but, right. but kind of kind of method acting with Dustin Hoffman a little bit. I mean, she yes. really came from a very sort of like lauded acting background. And the fact that she was so open to doing all kinds of work, both highbrow, like being on Wicked on Broadway or the Golden Girls or these other shows, or doing independent work like she did with this. It's just... It really shows you how much of a consummate actress she was and how much she loved the craft. And, and also how, sorry. how much it comes down to like, what is the character? You know, the medium, an outside we tend to write, you know, like, oh, film, TV, theater, like by pay or whatever. And performers at a certain level, when it's not like she didn't need money, you know, then it becomes like, what's the role? What's exciting about this? Yeah. What, what is worth getting off my couch and coming to work? Yeah, although she probably needed the money. She got divorced a lot. I know, like those, we, we <laughs> talked We talked about those husbands. Yeah. Although it is pretty incredible that this was, you know, this was the last TV series that she starred in as a regular, you know, yeah. before she passed away in 2010, because she did two TV guest spots after that, you know, and this is it, like yeah. that was it. So it is pretty incredible that, you know, in this stage of her career, you know, Emerson, like you were saying, for her to say, it's not, like, it's not about the money it's not about the prestige you know because it's logo yeah. like logo is yes. a great network but logo wasn't a big network you know like right. abc cbs nbc so for her to say i connect with this character i connect with this material and that's all that matters like you know yeah. it, it really does just go to show that you know that's what interested her as an actor was with strong great characters and great story and um i will say like for me because like being unfamiliar with the play and the movie, although I don't know how this got past me, <laughs> but in watching You're the episode, like I, I also, I, when I saw Leslie Jordan, like there, there is a scene where Leslie Jordan like gives a monologue and I was like, Oh my God, like, Oh, just gone too soon. Leslie Jordan, yeah. just so phenomenally talented. Never on the golden girls. Honestly. Why? I don't know. Cause they got him on will and grace, I guess. And, but And also that was a little bit early in his, like in his climbing the guest star oh. roster, you know, it's like Beth Grant had been like, has been a, a t an episode of every TV show that's ever existed. And film. That, that was in Leslie's like climbing era. I mean, it was, yeah. it's part of why he did all of Dell's plays. He was in Dell's very first play. He was in Southern Baptist Sissies, Sorted Lives. Like it, this was sort of preceded yeah, you know, this rode on the Will and Grace coattails, but that was the big get for him. I have to say, when I first became, I had I knew of Sorted Lives. I mean, Sorted Lives was sort of in that period where, like, I was in college slash the end of like high school, sort of like young young adult life, and I didn't have access to television and a lot of things. And I was living in New York, and I remember I was doing stand up in New York. I was a really young comic. I was only doing like opening spots at comics like that's all i was getting which was actually yep. like more than a lot of other comics because yes. you know, they, most people was in the basement in, in ochi's lounge or whatever it was which i performed it a lot but sorted lives did a i don't know if it was like a uh to for the television show for it was like an anniversary thing i don't know what it was but it was some event for sorted lives and rue mcclanahan was there so was rosie o'donnell and a bunch of other people rosie was doing something at the comics she wasn't in sorted lives she was doing something connected to it yep. and 
that's where Rue gave her like the epic story that everyone always talks about that she told no one to tell about the Betty White Dorothy story that we've talked about quite a bit on the podcast about how uh, Dorothy called Betty uh, the see you next Tuesday word yep. um, in a loving way. And yep. it was such a great night. That was where the picture of myself with Rue comes from. It was like for a young comic to be in that room with like Les. I also met Leslie Jordan that night for the first time and like so many different people. It was a it- big deal. It was a part of a very sordid affair because shortly after the series, oh, yes. we we put on a tour that was basically like a comedian's tour. There was Dell and Caroline Ray and Leslie Jordan and Rue McClanahan, the four of them like bouncing through some big markets as like crossover promotion. But the greatest part, there are hilarious stories of that. Cause like Rue had a like, when I'm done, I'm done sort of thing. Cause I have two, like she also terrified me one night. Uh, but like there was one night of Leslie Jordan out feeling himself and joining on stage. And she goes, is it my turn? Somebody get the hook for that one. <laughs> She's, you know, I love that you said that because I base so much of my drag off of, well, Rue McClanahan in general, but also, you know, of course, Blanche. Yeah. And I am exactly that in drag. When I am done with something, I mean, Carrie experienced this at Golden Con. I, will I just- did. I'll walk out of a room if I have to. Like, I'm just, I'm one of those people that like, there's no pleasantries. When I'm done, I'm done. <laughs> I leave. The My version of that story, uh, the New York premiere of Sorted Lives, the series. So my journey into that, my I Dell put me in his contract with Logo to be a producer on the series because I'd done the show. Like, it was a very rare thing. He put me in his contract. And so I was very Twinkie looking. And then, and sort of along that journey. And so I produced all of the premieres in Los Angeles, in New York, and in Palm Springs. And we did it in New York with the Trevor Project. Had a big giant night at New World Stages, like showed two of the episodes with Caroline hosting. I running the show, getting everyone there. And as wonderful as all of these people are, when you have no budget and you're talking about flying Olivia Newton-John and Rue McClanahan and Leslie Jordan and Bonnie Bedelia and Beth Grit, all of these people places, you're stretching yeah. uh, time, space, people. So it a great night, huge hit, but we get to the end of the night and I'm walking out of the theater, like taking off the headset and I hear across a lobby of 400 people going, yay, oh my gosh, that was so great. Emerson, where's my car? <laughs> Rue McClanahan, like yeah. the lo- in my mind, Dell says it was not this bad, but in my mind, the entire lobby stopped and turned to see who had upset Rue McClanahan <laughs> and looked at me as I went running in a full tuxedo. And I was like, the car's not here yet. We didn't schedule them for like 30 more minutes because they're all supposed to hang and take pictures like VIP, whatever. And yeah. I'm like running out to the street to try to get a cab because the car service isn't here yet running up and down whatever 60th or whatever it is by New World Stages, just going, I can't have Rue McClanahan mad at me, and please don't yell at me again in front of the entire world. <laughs> wow. That's so great. So it's, you know, you've lived when someone that famous has yelled at you. Helen Hunt yelled at me once. She's not as oh. cool as McClanahan. She was, I don't, I have a beef with Helen Hunt, but that's another podcast, another episode. Oh my God, but please do a whole episode just on your beef with Helen Hunt. Oh, I'll tell you all about it. It's, it involves shoes and Anthony Weiner. It's a long story. Um, oh my God, stop, <laughs> or, or I'll just like make you tell it now. Yeah, no, because- I can't. I go on too many tangents. Everyone knows in this podcast, I go on tangents. This is about uh, you, Emerson. <laughs> think about the people that we just listed. My entire professional life is hurting cats. Delightful, <laughs> wonderful Southern cats. I have to say at the beginning of every movie or every project, 
do not wait for Del Shores or Leslie Jordan to finish a story because they don't. It just segues yeah. into the next one. Yeah, so I, I have to tell like a first ADs, like you have to tap them and say, yeah. we're ready for you. I, <laughs> I learned really quickly. I interviewed Leslie a few times and the, the after the first time I re recognized pretty quickly, I need to cut him off or the yes. interview will go on yes. for an hour. It's insane. And like, as Southerners were taught to be polite, I'm like, oh, I will wait for the natural like ending of your, you know, I can tell when the story's yeah. coming to a spot, you breathe, I jump in, it's a rhythm, not yeah. with these queens, no. Uh -uh. No. no, like there's no end. So you just have to do that thing where you bravely start talking and hope they trail off. Well, we need to get to, cause I have to say like, if anyone just jumps into a random episode of Sorted Lives, you will be like, this is the most fucked up show I've ever watched in my life. Like it Correct. is insane out of context i think carrie experienced that watching i that. i did I, but you know what it felt to me like i was probably four minutes in and i was like oh this feels like if john waters made like a daytime soap drama that's what it felt like to me and also i lived in georgia for five years oh so, so you there, know there was something so beautifully trashy about this like i don't know it 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 was just I I I I loved it. It was so weird and and felt like it was just like of a moment in time. This Very sort of like you Very know what I mean, aughts. like in the aughts, like early aughts. I guess it was yeah. a little bit later, but um, no, it is. No, you're right because it's set at, like no. it's locked in time to Tammy Wynette's Tammy Wynette's death in '97 or '98. Yeah, it literally like, is yeah. the aughts, and there's so like you're so right, Carrie, because there's something. So he gave me like Malcolm in the Middle vibes in terms of like those sort of single camera comedies that were yep. kind of experimenting and doing something new and different. Um, that that's just what it sort of reminded me of, and like, and I was I was here for it. I I, I loved it, and I do think so. The episode we watched, if people want to watch, um, we watched this you know season one, uh, episode nine. The episode's called "Those Pesky Pesky Little Stalkers," and Emerson, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you wanted that to be the episode for us to watch because. It is sort of Rue McClanahan's sort of like sexual uh, yes, like liberation. party episode. Yeah, like yes. sexual yeah. liberation episode, which yes. which was so fun to watch. And um, so in the episode, just for context, so Rue's character is having an affair with Caroline Ray's husband, who's her daughter's best friend. And I loved that she we was sleeping with Caroline Ray for a second and say how sure, yes, as long as you want. I mean, I need just because I've always been a huge fan of Caroline Ray and I don't feel like she gets the love. I feel like she took over for Rosie when Rosie's show ended, like Rosie was done with being a host and Caroline took over and then it quickly got canceled and everyone just sort of like forgot about Caroline Ray. And I want to say Caroline Ray is incredible and should be applauded and loved. And she's a hilarious stand up comic and people should go see her live because she tours all the time. And when I tell you that, like, of all the people I've ever seen, and we all know a bunch of comedic geniuses, I have never seen anyone host a live event yeah. better than Caroline Ray. She's like, so the ability good. to do jokes and interplay with the audience, like, watch her run a live auction. Like, that yeah. level of, like, just effortless, in-the-moment genius. She's a fucking masterclass. You really should yeah. see her do stand-up live. It is so good. Sorry. There were, oh no, it's okay. There were a couple of things that, because anytime we watch um, a project that one of the Golden Girls was in, we of course are always drawing comparisons to their character on the Golden Girls. Of course. And a few things that kind of stood out to me in this episode um, were one, that Rue's character was sleeping with a married man, which yeah. is something that, you know, according to Blanche Devereaux, that's something that you never do because the mistress never gets the good mm -hmm. presents. The wife always gets the good presents. Correct. Um, cool. Very practical advice. Very practical advice. Um, there was also a scene where her and her lover were in bed together. And I realized that I don't think we ever saw Blanche in bed with a man on the Golden Girls. 
Definitely yeah. saw Sophia in bed with um, Cesar Romero. Um, maybe Dorothy was in bed with Stan. I feel like we've seen Dorothy in bed. I know we did when she pretended to kill Trudy, but we we've never see seen her, Blanche in bed before. We did see her try to seduce a man on bed. I'm thinking Ham, and I'm also thinking the one where they went to the hotel and like there were weird things. Like she's definitely been on a bed with a man in a room. Like George Clooney, right? Exactly. She was trying to seduce George well, Clooney. No, I'm, I'm just, talking about I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I won't get us back into that fight. I won't. I, I'm. No, I agree with no, you on that. But you're right. She she never really was in bed that I remember with a man on the series ever. Maybe. So not even George. No. So that was exciting for me. And then the last thing I sort of noticed was that, like in this show, which I loved, everyone is dripping with a southern accent, yeah. and it's like they're so thick and so heavy. But weirdly, Rue McClanahan's actually felt dialed back from her yes. Blanche accent. And I was like, oh, I actually thought she would have leaned into it more. Um, but it was, it was a little, it was a little reserved. And here's why I think though, I think it's literally reserved because the character is, you know, the journey of this character through the series is she is the good church going woman. Her husband died 40 years ago. Nothing has happened. You know, she bails the bisexual bar singer in town out of prison played by Libby Newton-John and they strike up this friendship Naturally. and she starts hanging out with the low lifes at the bar in town and sort of realizing, oh, my judgment of all of these people and there's fun to be had in life and she meets this man with no wood who has two wooden legs uh actually inspired by a relative of del Shores, uh who is the ex-husband of her daughter's best friend and they spike up this relationship and it rekindles romance in her but i think some of the accent because the blanche rhythm right a lot of the blanche accent is in the rhythm as much as it is in like the vowels so to yeah. speak it's it's that's the rhythm and the speech and the up and down and this Peggy character so stifled that it does sort of the same thing to your accents. And there's a, like also an uppity Southern thing about not sounding as country as your poorest relatives. Yes. That's also a thing too. Yeah, no, that's very much my family. My mom is very proud to have gotten rid of her accent, even though she still has an accent. <laughs> well, it's not, like in my life journey, I moved to I moved from suburban Houston, Texas to Singapore when I was 16. My dad's job international, like moving overseas. But when we got there, people could guess where both of my brothers moved from. Like they would get Texas mm -hmm. and they wouldn't get it from me. My actual speaking voice is pretty neutral. I play it up for effect because let's be honest, everything yeah. sounds funnier in Southern woman. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but so there is like a, the, the more money you have or the more you want to seem cultured, the more it sort of gets tamped down yeah. either inten intentionally. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you're right. Because if she was, she was a more reserved kind of, well, and also her accent, her accent mm -hmm. on the Golden Girls, even she said, was a mix, wasn't even really that Southern. It was a mix of Southern and Mae West. And she talked about how it was sort of like a concocted accent that she worked on that she really just tried to hone. And it wasn't, if you watch the first early episodes of the Golden Girls, it's not there. She she worked on it over time. So yeah. It, Oh, yeah, it's definitely not in the pilot. But by episode two, she's like started to pick up She's like, oh, okay. Also, I feel like as they started to compete for what's funny, it was like, what are the tools in the bag that yeah. like will make my right. joke be the one that hits, right? Yeah. Oh, well, should we play the the first uh, clip that we have of them in? Um, I think they're just sort of like reclining on the couch together, but you can sort of get a sense of 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 their relationship together. Yeah, it's her and her, the guy with no legs. What was his name again? I forget. Uh, the character's GW, played by David Steen. Okay. Yes, GW. So that goddamn Juanita, no leader was on to us and I had to throw her off. Oh. I didn't want to, Peg, but I had to. What I understand, GW. You do? Mm -hmm. 
You mean you're not mad at me for cheating on you? Think what you're saying, darling. We're the ones that are cheating. (laughs) (laughs) It don't feel that way. I know it don't. You know, in my head, I know it's wrong, but my heart says otherwise. Hmm. Mine too. And you know, the sex wasn't even no good with no leader. Not like with you. She only let me take off one leg. Why in the world is she so selfish? <laughs> oh, if she only knew uh, how, how, how much more actual and inventive you are. Okay, that actually, when, uh, when you only hear the audio, I'm going yep. to be real here. I'm going to be real for anyone, because most people probably have not seen this, seen this episode. It's filthy and disgusting when it's just the audio, when it's literally, yes. it, I feel like I am hearing Rue McClanahan in a very interesting adult film. Yes, <laughs> correct. Rue McClanahan for late night Skinamax, like old yes. school. Yeah. Yes. Oh. It feels very intimate. I mean, they are, it is an intimate scene. I mean, they're, you know, they're just sort of like lying back on the couch together, but it, it does sound like, there is something about just hearing it. It does it. It as I was listening to them, I suddenly felt like, oh, I shouldn't be here right now. I'm invading yeah. somebody's. It you're felt like, very voyeuristic. Can my daughter hear me? Like you're like you're having a whole moment of like this yeah. is actually inappropriate. But that's what's kind of amazing about it is that like, like what Rue was saying when Rue had that phone call with Dell, like you guys having the, her talking about this part at her age and how exciting it is, like. This is adult stuff, and I don't think Rue McClanahan, even in her immediate years after the Golden Girls, probably got a lot of adult stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, and the like combined genius here too. You know, it's we talked about like all these women are drawn to the women that Dell writes, and because he loves them so much and comes from a big Southern world full of these iconic, brilliant women. And you think about the simplicity of the scene is ultimately it works because. Rue is sincerely in love with this man. So talking about having sex with you with both your legs off and how generous a lover you are, like plays nearly farce as an audience, but the scene lands at hysterical because of her sincere commitment to like, I'm in love with you and I would do anything for you. Like obviously the rest of it would be like, I need to think about like the the mechanics of this for a minute maybe. I want, I would, I would, I would fully have sex with someone with no legs though. I feel like that actually would probably be fun, but I did love her like like almost like bark of a of a laugh. You know what I mean? She had this sort of like growl, sort of a laugh where when she she sort of naughtily was like, We're the ones having an affair. Yes. <laughs> it was just so like, the, like giddy glee. Yeah. The glee at the like doing the naughty thing. Do you think, okay, do you think, let's say, let's say, let's say we're all like in our, I don't know, prime years. Like how old was Rue here? Probably in her seventies, I'm guessing. Probably. Yes, definitely. And you're in your seventies, right? Our partners are, let's say, hopefully not, but let's say they're all dead. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I think if I was this character, I would be the filthiest old man possible. Like if I could do that. No, this, I can't I, imagine that. Where, well, no, not at all. No, but do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like that would be so liberating in your seventies yes. when you know you got like maybe 10, hopefully 20 years on you. Who gives a fuck? Smoke the cigarettes, drink the drinks, give a lot of blowjobs. That's what I think. That's what this character's life is now at this point. 
Yes. Well, and also there's the reality of like the, you know, entertainment and culture and what we prize and all of that, but like old people fuck, they want to, they want to, you know, mm -hmm. it's like that you don't stop just because your body changes doesn't yeah. change like the things that you want. You want to be yeah. held, you want to be adored, you want to be. And so to have a woman sort of state that plainly, yeah, like, this is what I want. I want you, you make me feel good. I had a friend who works in Missouri, who works at a retirement home and like a nursing home. And she, oh, the, the stories must be endless. The thing she has told me, she's like, these people, they, they literally, it's like a frat house. And sometimes, I mean, they're just, they're just kind of having fun and, she loves it because they're just doing. I mean, sometimes someone falls and breaks something. Like sometimes, sure, sure, yeah. Worth it though. Absolutely, totally worth it. Totally worth it. Well, well, speaking had... of, sorry, go ahead. No, because it's a, so a tangent. Go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about it offline. Uh -huh. um, uh, so, but speaking of like a sort of a saucy Rue, Emerson, one of the clips that you sent that I absolutely love that we're going to play um, is her and Olivia Newton-John talking about uh, orgasms. It's in another uh, episode, but let's play that conversation because it's gorgeous. Betsy May, working around them legs. Oh, he took them off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was all right. It was fine. Well, it didn't bother me one bit. You forgot after a while because it, it was so... In the 33 years I was married to Theodore, well, I never once had one of those things the jigs you're supposed to have, you know, during, you know. You mean an orgasm? Oh, Betsy May, let me tell you something. Now I understand what the fuss is all about. So what are you gonna do? Well, I guess I'm gonna have to break it off before something awful happens. And forfeit the possibility of never having another orgasm. Oh, Lord, what wandry. What wandry. The, the writing is so good. It's, you know, it, I, I, he's not here, so it's easy for me to talk about Del, like the genius of what he does in writing is like hilariously reveal truths because the tragedy of her admitting I had a marriage to a man I thought I loved and in 33 years I never had an orgasm. Yeah. And then, like, this is a new discovery. One of my favorite moments in the entire series is that moment where she, where Olivia says, you mean an orgasm? And she goes, yes, shh, yes. Yeah. They are by themselves. And there is so much shame associated with a woman talking about this in the world they grew up in that she literally shushes her friend in their empty home, which is both so hysterical and like representatively sad of this woman's right. life. Yeah. And it's right. accurate, I think, for so many people because, and what's so interesting in watching this too, I kept thinking of like, this character is sort of a mix between her character on Maud and her character on the Golden Girls, where her character on Maud was sort of like a homely best friend to Maud. You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know, her life was not really that exciting and it became exciting when she entered Maud's house. And that was sort of her life. Similar to Mama's family, too. She was very much that sort of dowdy, spinstery type character. And then on the Golden Girls, I mean, she was a full sex bot. And what I love about this is it kind of blends all of those things that we that so many fans of her of her television work know of her into this one character yeah it also reminds me of like she there was a little bit of like the rose nyland naivete where yeah. 
I think Rose talks about when like she was with Charlie and she says, you know, it took me five years to experience the thing that makes your eyes roll in the back of your head. This Which sort I of like, I think it's a lie. Cause we know for a fact that her and Charlie did it. what they say every day or something like every day. But, but I, but I do, I, I do think that because she loved Charlie, she could still enjoy it and then reach this other level of enjoyment. Once she sort of like discovered like, Oh my gosh, I can also have an orgasm it's more than just the sort of physical intimacy and that's just like being close with my partner hundred if she didn't have it for five years that's like 1600 some days of her not having an orgasm if she had it every single day she really loved that man i do love that man wait not at the risk of like sending the podcast off on a whole thing can i say my fun i don't really mean it but i do controversial golden girls opinion please yes uh, but you know what Yes. We're going to take a break first. Yes. And then you're going to have to wait to come back, listeners, to hear the story. <laughs> That's a great cliffhanger to leave them on. You're welcome. And we're back. All right, Emerson, divulge. What is your controversial take on the Golden Girls? Okay, at the risk of making many Golden Girls extremely angry, you know, the Rose Nyland of it all, people who live in the world of like the naivete of Rose Nyland, I am black and white on this subject because I believe that you either have to think that Rose is stupid or a bitch and there is nothing in between. Oh my God. I'm, ki- I'm mostly kidding, but really it's because the like, I think that once you acknowledge she yeah. isn't as dumb yeah. and like sometimes she like, the things that she bald-faced says in people's th- faces, she's by far the actually meanest of the women. Mm, yeah. It's the delivery that makes a lot of people feel like she isn't. But I'm like, word for word, to me, Rose is the meanest of the four. See, now, wow. Mary, me, I, I, need to, I need to give Carrie a little lesson in gay bar etiquette. What Emerson, or drag gay bar etiquette, what Emerson just did is he stirred the pot. So <laughs> at a bar... When a statement like this is made, all of the homosexuals will everybody go, <gasps> and then of course everyone turns on Emerson, which is how you then stir the pot to get attention, which I, as a drag queen, completely love and respect. I will say though, this is like me at a bar being like, I don't really care about Britney Spears, and everyone goes crazy. Yes. Um, I. And also what it really is, is my, I love, it's like state it really dramatically and then walk it a whole bunch back. Because what yeah, I really yeah. mean is <laughs> in admiration, I think Rose gets away with saying the meanest things to people. I think you're because right. Because of the naivete and delivery. The like dramatic, she's a bitch statement. It's just to like irritate people because it's yeah. fun to like irritate yeah. fans. But my admiration has always been, I think Rose is the greatest reader. And I think she knows more often than some people What do you think, Carrie? Do you agree with well, that? Well, what you're saying is really interesting because yes, there were moments where Rose is incredibly sharp and and mean and cutting and also really like backstabby and and if that if she's capable of those moments, then then it I mean it just That's makes my- sense that the naivete is more of a show that she's putting on because she's so smart and calculated. And Emerson, I'm not going to lie. You've kind of rocked my world a little bit. Like, I don't know which way is up and down right now. My my conspiracy theory is that every single love story, everything is a performance art. That's my, that's my golden girls conspiracy theory is that 
Rose always knows. Let me give a counter. <gasps> Please it rhymes. Do. It must make. It must be true. I, and so I can sell T-shirts, obviously. Of course. Let me give a counter argument too. Please. So I, I don't think you can go that drastic uh, with Rose because I do feel like there's a lot of like there's. It's not black and white with Rose. Everything's no. gray and a of course cloudy and sort of you know stormy up there. Yes. And. Uh, I do think that she can be bitchy. Oh, for sure. She knows which, like the moments when, you know, she, when, when Blanche walked out of the room and she said to the girls, can you believe that backstabbing slut? Like she knows her moments of being a bitch. Of course, of course. But what I think is so amazing about her. And I think the best readers, the best people to throw shade, the best people who can be the meanest are the people who don't know they're being the meanest, which is like my mother. So my mother will say things and it will literally create an audible gasp slash in me. And she has no idea that she said something horrible or mean or like shocking. She has no idea to her. It was just a normal thing to say. And that to me is Rose. Dorothy knows what she's doing. Blanche knows what she's doing. Even Sophia in her weird post stroke life knows what she's doing. Rose, I don't think Rose knows that she's doing it, but when it hits, oh, it hits. See, and I go, and but it's where I always come back to. I think you're right sometimes, but other times she has to know yeah. or she's a moron. Well, may, I think she's a moron then, but I hate saying that about her because I don't think she's- <laughs> I a- don't really think she is. <laughs> I, but it's also when people do the like, which one are you, right? And people always sort of assign their like dippiest friend, the Rose. I'm always like, uh-uh. I don't, I don't think like that's not all there is to mm. what that is. It's, and you're right. It's much more like the way you just described your mother. There is a kind of directness mm-hmm. that becomes very mean becomes because somebody said it not trying to be hurtful yes. makes it even more hurtful. But then which golden girl are you then since you brought that up? Uh, I'm definitely a Dorothy with a Blanche rising. Oh. Probably. I am publicly much more a Blanche. But my real like friend persona is probably much closer to Dorothy, mm. outwardly Blanche. We know that Dorothy was very jealous of Blanche every day of her life. So I mean, that's well, is that a really hard internal struggle for you, Emerson? Weirdly, no. There's an element of I mean, I think I think like if we're going to be actually real about it for a second, I think part of it goes with being an entertainer. I'm definitely an introvert that behaves very well like an extrovert. Mm. A lot of my like social media stuff, a lot of my like the dumb reality show that I did, you know. I can be very shiny, shiny, happy, Southern homosexual, and I enjoy that very much. People, as they get to know me more, tend to sort of be surprised that in general, I'm actually rather serious in that like angsty, former Southern Baptist sissy sort of like that way. So that's more what I mean, that I probably am actually most Dorothy, but people who don't know me super well would be more likely to say Blanche. Interesting, interesting. What do you think? You see both sides. I know. I, I mean, I definitely, I definitely see your Blanchy side because, yeah, I definitely see that. But, yeah, that's the. But I also think that I would actually say you're more Sophia than Dorothy. That because, may be true too. Because Sophia is very intentional with her opinions, very yes. sort of like direct, and so is Dorothy. But Dorothy's more responsive. You know, yes. what I mean? Dorothy's more like she she's reactive to things, whereas yes. Sophia. She's going to tell you regardless. That is probably more accurate because also there's a little more pessimism to the like, a mine is more of a matter of fact. Yes. Like if you ask me directly, I will tell you directly. Yes. But I don't volunteer negative thoughts and opinions. Totally. I think that's, yeah, because you're not intentionally 
uh, maybe you're not Sophia then, because you're not intentionally mean. Whereas I do think Sophia is intentionally mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the, well, the stat. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, let's get back to Sorted Lives because yes. I am still. I have. I need to confess something. So when we watched, I watched the two episodes today, and then I watched some other clips and stuff just to get a full spectrum. And I kind of feel like I was watching a fever dream because, like, going back to what we were talking about at the beginning this the series is so indicative of early mid and late aughts queer content in a way that like just made me feel so nostalgic for like films like like i'm thinking like there was a british film called beautiful thing or like a lot of the coming out or but i'm a cheerleader in the 90s like things like that that like were campy and weird and just sort of fucked up and we don't have really any of that anymore like that's sort of gone by the wayside because of i don't know what and it just it made me miss that era and I want it back. Well, and it's also, you know, we did something, part of the challenge too, is jumping into like an episode nine of this series, lots of comedies, you know, it's like, oh, you get it, whatever. The 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 way that Dell wrote this series, first of all, this series had 14 series regulars in a half hour, ha- half hour series. That's yeah. wild. So, and 22 major cast members across 12 episodes. You don't oh. see that. And you don't. And the first two episodes, like it takes the first two episodes to even meet them all. Mm-hmm. And so, and so Del wrote all of the threads of all of the stories across all 12 episodes together. So it wasn't like, oh, yay, we wrote and then we kept writing. It's like the threads were all completely done. He's the only writer on all 12 episodes. He wrote all 12 of them and they were all 12 turned in completed. So the seeds that you get in each episode, there's some scenes like in this episode where you're like, I don't have even any idea what that one pop has to do with anything else I've just watched. Yeah. But in, in the season of week to week of that, it's like, oh, great. This thing that was a major part of the previous episode, here's the one check-in on that. And you'll have to come back next week when we shift back a little bit more to them. So there is no extra second. I mean, I sat in the edit of every moment of this series and just the headache of like getting that much story down to 21 and a half minutes every episode. There is no wasted beat, no wasted joke. Like nothing is superfluous and frivolous except, and every joke is revealing of a character, not just like, here's a funny thing. It reminds me of, and this is something that maybe Carrie can speak to, because like you describing that, it kind of reminds me of Arrested Development in a way, and how like yes. how the story serialized, yes. yeah, um, yes, how like absolutely you watch one episode, but then that bit of the episode wouldn't be answered for three episodes later or something. Yes, it's, it's, it, it very was that. Yeah, the, so, yeah, it would be very very bingeable content these days. It's like you guys were making bingeable content before that was really a thing. And we shot it that way. Well, like we shot the entire series, this series in 35 days. We block shot location by location by location. And and in 2008, people were not doing that yet. Like we had, we like, it was basically the movie of the week approach at that point. And it was the way we could make the budget stretch because it wasn't episodic by episode budget. It was this budget for 12 episodes split as needed where we needed to. Like we shot all of Leslie Jordan's scene in the mental institution for all 12 episodes in three days. Done. Yeah, that's like wild. For, out of the for those listening, the way that you typically shoot television shows, you shoot it by episode. But when you block shoot something, you basically are taking the whole season or maybe part of a season and you're shooting it in the most budget friendly way. So, yeah, you may Leslie Jordan may be shooting a scene from episode two and then a scene from episode seven and then one from episode nine in over the course of the week. And, and for an actor to be able to get into that frame of mind of knowing, especially on a serialized show where your characters are growing and developing, 
you know, as an actor, you know, you kind of want to get into that, you know, that's, a, that is an extra special talent to get to that frame of mind. Um, Emerson, I do want to talk about your introduction in the series because you <laughs> yes. also sent us that clip. Um, but before we play it, just talk about like your character. Were you always like, was that always sort of a part of it? Like you were going to be in it as well? Or did that come about later? Because you were obviously like a producer at first. In Dell and my working relationship, the deal has always been, if you will put me in it, I will produce it. And the series was sort of the first opportunity because I produced the national tour with his now ex-husband who played Ty in the series. And so when he went to write the series, he was like, I'm writing a thing for you. It will be in it. And like, it's far enough down the call sheet that we don't need to like fight with the network, you know, or any or anything about that. So it was very much like he was said, I'm going to write you this bitchy queen and we'll find where he goes. And and I would have been a great story in season two because I was one of the cliffhangers that we didn't get to resolve. Oh, and wow. that we must live with you. Yeah, let's play the clip. And then yes. I want to hear your story about how people yell a certain line at you uh, yes. afterwards. Yes, let's play the clip. How's it going? You don't know who I am, do you? Sorry, remind me. We met in the steam room. You invited me back to your place. We had really amazing sex. You said you really liked me that you'd call. I'm still waiting. Sorry, dude, I've just been really well, What busy. are you gonna do, tell another lie, Ty? I know your type. You're a lying, using, closeted, fag-hating fag. Okay, y'all, like, first of all, the scene that you just heard is the two of us standing around work workout equipment and I weigh 135 pounds at six feet tall soaking wet like the amount of disbelief we were suspending that I had this casual run-in with him at the gym is fine we'll get past that uh but yes so for several years after this because this was my sort of first big you know yay big thing that I was a part of at like gay prides and like sorted lives particularly in the south is the southern gay classic I had like middle-aged queens yelling at me at prides, you're a lying, using, closeted, fake-hating fag. <laughs> and I was like, oh, this is lovely. Yeah. Isn't that <laughs> like, nice? Isn't that nice to have that moment that, like, becomes so, I don't know, catchy? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, people quote that to you. And it's also one of those things, too, that, like, it's such a perfect line to say at a gay bar to someone when you've had a couple of drinks. And also, like, let's be honest, more than occasionally applicable. Like, the, the particular order of that words for, like, that terrible gay at the edge of every friend group, like, it is definitively a usable phrase of, like, oh, wait, I just realized you're a garbage person. Um, we don't need to do this anymore. <laughs> I, I, was love like, it. I was like, oh, I'm that garbage person. Representation for all types, right? It's true. Everyone <laughs> needs a villain. And everyone, and also everyone should feel seen, even the villains. Yes, I can. You know, I was just saying this to a friend the other day. We were talking about, I forget what we were talking about, but I kind of love on shows and stuff, like reality shows and stuff. I almost gravitate towards the people everyone hates because I'm yes. always like, oh, I love a complicated person. I hate when someone's just cookie cutter and nice and perfect. Also, like, uh, my irritation with our modern culture of, like, ooh, get the villain off the show is I'm like, you don't have a show without a yeah. villain. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know them. I don't need to solve their interpersonal relationship crises. Mm -hmm. But I do need this reality show to be entertaining. And I am grateful for that terrible person yeah. for making it infinitely watchable. It's so true. It's so true. Which is why Rue McClanahan, I think, was so perfect in so many of the things that she did is that she drove story. I'm not saying that she was a villain, but 
she drove stories a lot with her characters and the way yes. she acted. And I want to know, just to speak for anyone who hasn't seen Sorted Lives, where does Rue's character's story go from here? Like we watch these two episodes or these episodes. So like, where, what happens to her? Really and truly. So this this season of that was meant to be the first season of an ongoing show that Rue only committed to doing this one season. Because at the end of the season finale, spoiler alert, if you're planning to watch it, I'm so sorry. But this this first season ended with Peggy hitting her head on the sink in the seedy motel room. Now, what we were going to do, well, we can say this now, whatever. She was going to wake up from a, like the movie was a fever dream. Yeah. Because she did oh, wow. all come back. So basically, we were going to pretend the movie and the play didn't happen. And it was going to be like she had dreamed her own funeral and then continue on. From there, like, that's you know, fun. it's easy to ride around to death, but it did like this season led up to theoretically the very, the very start of the series. And then we would have seen the repercussions of people finding out about the affair and all of that uh, going forward. And I, I feel like at this point I can reveal the spoilers. Del won't hear this. So um, <laughs> that is where it was going. The Oh, but I wait, rewinding, because I have two iconic Rue stories from the actual shooting of the show. Well, please. Yeah, that's what we were going to ask. Her very first day on set. So she arrives. It's very, it's sort of very early. We started with the mental institution. So Leslie was there first. Uh, Caroline Ray arrived quickly. And she was excited. And, and Rue was there from the very first day because we shot her stuff with Leslie very first. And so she'd been there a day and she was having knee trouble. So me or my friend, Chris Pudlow, who was one of the PAs, like sort of escorted her everywhere she went. So it was always just like a thing to lean on. Like, I don't want a cane or a walker, but like, hold on to you. So I'm walking her into lunch her very first day and it's Caroline Ray's second day and everyone's immediately in love with her. And so Caroline is sitting at a table full of 12 people. Like they are uproariously laughing. She is holding court, telling some story. And so Rue walks in and she looks over holding my arm and she goes, well, that one's come out of her shell. <laughs> and Caroline Ray looks up and without missing a beat, I mean, it was instantaneous. She goes, that's Rue. The D is silent. <laughs> wow. I mean, it was instant. How did Rue respond? Between two, and she went, she can stay. <laughs> I like, but like watching two genuinely comedic geniuses just casually like this is it like you know not hiding in our trailers whatever like yeah. all lunch with the big louisiana crew like bat a ball back and forth like that easily that instantly i was like i will remember those two phrases for the rest of my life like, drag queens they're drag queens they're literally they are yeah um and then because of like helping her around all continuously she was like that one did it, she like literally that was my name. Like I like I was like at Emerson. She's like, that one said da 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 da. Mm -hmm. That one all the time. And so I like stopped to it. I was like, I, I don't know if she's just not gonna learn it. If she's I, I mean, I don't care. Stream McLean, I'll do whatever you want. Like I, I knocked him, she's like, come in into the dressing room one day and and turns to me, topless Rue McClanahan. It's just me, Rue McClanahan and pants, and nothing else. And I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. She was like, there is nothing to look at. Like, I mean, the one good thing about not having any tits is they can't sag. Oh yeah, because she had she had had uh, a mastectomy, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so, but like, no. And I'm like, I'm like, I want to, I, I, I want to look. Yeah. Um. And then so, jump to much, much later as as we were getting ready to do like the premiere event. She came over. I was living with Dell and his ex husband and their daughters at the time. Um. And she came over just to have dinner one night and she walked through the door and genuinely like terrified Twinkie still, I was, she was like, hello. And I was like, it's Emerson. And she went, I know, I always knew. I just thought it was funny. 
<laughs> I love that. Wait, so after the show wrapped and everything was done, did you, I mean, did you or Dell have any other encounter with her? Before oh, they, the they talked all the time. I mean, that is what led to the assorted affair tour. Cause she was like, honey, what can we do? Let's do something else fun. Like it, yeah. she was so enamored with the character and like the community of people because it was a set full of actors that are very much actors, actors, you know, they're not like, Oh, we have to get the good take. It's like, Every take is great. Use the one that fits best for, you know, Beth yeah, Grant, yeah. Leslie Jordan, Bonnie Bedelia, Caroline Ray, like comedic geniuses, people from stage. So as fast and furious as it all was, it was also very much a like a fun challenge of rising to the occasion of your scene partners. And that's why, you know, everybody showed up. Beth's been in a bunch of Dell's plays. She played the lead in our movie Blues for Willadine. So Rue was so enamored with Dell and his humor and his company that she did. They talked all the time. They did the tour. That's how you met her in New York. Caroline Ray set that up at comics. That's what yeah. led to that particular night. And yeah, so I mean, like they talked all the way to the end. That's so amazing. I mean, that's I, what I loved about Rue is that she was so busy right until the end. Yeah. I guess I it's so interesting to hear these these stories about her kind of demeanor on set. Would you say that because she's not coming across as particularly warm, she's coming across as like funny and sassy. Like how would you just sort of describe her demeanor and did you ever see any kind of vulnerability with her or was she always just sharp and funny and you know what I mean? It was, it, there's a very, it's interesting, you know, Bonnie's this way. Um, there's, there's an interesting thing. And what I call is it's the professional woman, the professional actress that there's a, a there, there's a manner that is the, I don't know everyone here and you may not know me and you may not know my history. That's sort of a no nonsense bullshit meter up front, you know, that sort of tests the people around to go, are you competent? Are you like, how much do I need to worry in this circumstance that I put myself into? And so if she was, I wouldn't say like cuddly warm. I would say like bantery, bantery fun. You know, it was very much like, can you play? Like, are you smart enough to stick in the conversation? But also very instantly, if you have proven yourself competent or good at what you do, then it's great. You know, there was no like, I'm the Rue McClanahan. It was more, much more simply do you do your job well? And can I trust that? You know, can I trust your time calls? Can I trust that the clothes you're going to bring me tomorrow fit well? You know, like the first fitting takes a really long time. Oh, great. I know you. I trust you. Great. When you bring me the next thing, I know we're good. You know, it's it's testing the waters. And I think that comes from a lifetime of showing up and it's like, it doesn't matter what, everything may seem great, but if you don't ask the questions, uh, you can end up in a situation that like you're, that you don't want to be in. And I experienced that from a number of that caliber of women as they joined our world, that there would be an element of testing, particularly me. Bonnie Bedelia did the same thing the first time we met, riding in the van, two set. Dell introduced me and he said, this is Emerson Collins. He's one of our producers. She didn't look at me. She looked at Dell and she said, what does that mean? <laughs> don't you and he went and he was like what do you what, what what does that mean he is a producer like if i have a question can he answer it and sh and dell said he is the only one who can and she went and she turned and looked at me and went it's very nice to meet you like fully <laughs> sincerely mm -hmm. but it, it, like she was right. shorthand saying is this somebody who put together a deal or paid somebody and they're gonna sit in a chair at video but like do exactly. i need to right but it's like she'd done it enough times that she didn't ask the like nice soft lead up questions it was like just directly to like the real right. statement because i mean we were just i was just having that conversation so recently, interesting recently with someone about how like you know you come to play so like i, I was I, the conversation i was having was about sort of like how i communicate with people and in, in in sort of podcasts and interviews and stuff and if someone isn't 
ready to sort of volley with me in the way that I need them to volley, well, then you're going to get left behind. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I've been doing this too long to like wait for someone to catch up. And I almost think that like Rue was kind of like that too. And that like, yes, she knew who she was. She knew her value. She knew her impact when she walked into a room and why should she have to be any other way? She knows that everyone's looking at her and everyone knows that they're going to look at her too. Like it's, you know. There is. And it's it's a little bit, are you smart enough to be fun? You know, so I should keep you in that category. And then the other is, are you good at what you do? Because what she was, was absolutely the same with everyone up and down the, you know, the board yeah. and the call sheet. It's like, this is who I am in the world. And there is no difference if you're the person bringing me the coffee or you're the person from the network, like who's paying for the show. And that to me is always the greatest sign as I have encountered various kinds of these women that I like because of Della, I've been so lucky, you know, but it's like to have a designing woman and a golden girl and Olivia Newton-John and, you know, that 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 is sort of a shared trait among the extremely competent is that like, I will find, I will, I want to suss you out very quickly to know what, if I can trust you and then everything else is great. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's amazing. Well, Emerson, we're going to take a break and then we're going to come back with our golden takeaways, which you just be prepared for. It's going to be great. We'll be right back. I can't wait. And we are back with our golden takeaway, which is a nugget of truth or inspiration that you can apply to your life or the lives of our listeners. Since we are pros at this, Emerson, Carrie and I will go first and then you will go. So you can just follow our lead. Carrie, what's your golden takeaway from this episode? My golden takeaway is Emerson, I could listen to you for hours tell stories about Rue McClanahan. I'm I think a lot of the Golden Girls community, because the women are no longer with us, there are no new interviews that they're giving. There's there's never really anything new that you can kind of discover about them. And anytime we meet someone who's had an interaction with them or even better has worked with them before in a professional capacity and spent a lot of time with them. Anytime we're able to get a personal anecdote that just gives us a window into the lives of the golden girls is just so exciting. And those were, I think some of the greatest stories out of talking to like writers and the golden girls. Those I think were my favorite stories that we've heard um, about the women and Um, I just want to thank you for sharing them with us. And I know the Golden Girls fans will love hearing them as well. Yeah, definitely. Oh, I love that. Well, my golden takeaway is pretty much the same as Carrie's in that I think that having someone like you on to talk about your experience with Rue is amazing and the fans are going to love it. But also, I think knowing Emerson the way that I do, more people should follow Emerson's lead and be a Blanche in the world publicly. I think it's it's a more positive energy to put into the world if everyone just posted on social media like Blanche would or responded like Blanche would. Maybe privately you're a Dorothy with your friends, you're a Dorothy, whatever, you can have that. But if you just put out that positive, maybe sometimes naughty energy to the world, it's gonna bring a lot of smiles to a lot of people. So be the Blanche you want to see in the world. Oh, I love that. Well, it's funny, you know, I was thinking, I I don't tell these stories often, you know, one, because like, thank you for having me and not Dell, because like, obviously, they're big parts (laughs) of his stories. Um, But like, be I think mine, and and, and what I would take from the rue of it all is the that you can be both silly and substantial. 
You know, I've never thought about it that way until we've talked about it this way, that like one doesn't negate the other, right? That you can be joyful, you can be banter, you can play and you're silly and naughty and fun. And if somebody sees you as is insubstantial because of that, that's actually on them, not on you. Like it doesn't negate that there is more to you than that. And I feel like maybe that's some of the lesson of Blanche anyway, right? Is that like, even if that's a big part of what there is, it's not all there is. And scratch a little deeper and find what else is there. As soon as you said scratch a little deeper, I just thought of dig a little deeper from Princess and the You gotta dig a little deeper. You gotta scratch a little deeper. You gotta scratch a little deeper. I'm sitting next to the like Princess Tiana uh, pot pot holders and artwork. That's that's the other thing that Emerson and his his partner Blake, who I'm also good friends with, that we share in common. We have a love, an obsession of Disney that we have. Oh yes, deep. Yes. I love it. I love it. Where H. Allen and Michael are always getting, I have almost a two-year-old and every time they go to Disney, they're they're coming back with a mini dress. We're going this Friday, expect something. So sweet. uh, uh, Mine goes and just comes back with ones for himself. He's like, here's Mm -hmm. the like, here's literally the Tiana dress arrived from the other day. You know, we'll find a reason to use it. Of course. (laughs) Emerson, where can people find you on the internet and follow all of your Blanche energy? Um, honestly, at this point, the best place is Instagram at Emerson Collins. Like I am still on Twitter, the dumpster fire that is Twitter at actually Emerson, but like, and my website's emersoncollins.com. You can, and, but I, and I answer anything anywhere, everywhere. So please feel free to come say hi. Tell me how upset you are by my Rosen Island take, like any of your thoughts. <laughs> and I love chatting as you could, you, you are both incredibly wonderful. What you, what you have done with this show and the many, many ways that you have taken it is so impressive and inspiring. And I think leads to these fascinating conversations about women and culture and entertainment and art and how all of those things combine and I as a fan it's so exciting for me to be here but I just want to say that to the two of you because I think we don't always remember to say the compliments to people's oh. faces oh that's, that's very sweet very oh much. my gosh well on that note Emerson thank you so so much for joining us today and thank you all so so much for listening to this episode and we will catch you back here next week with more golden girls greatness and just so you all remember we are a part of mom that's right moguls of media so go subscribe to mom plus because that's really fun and support all of the fantastic podcasts coming out of mom and you can follow us on social media at golden girls pod on twitter out on the lanai official on instagram golden girls pod on facebook and i am sadie pine slash h allen scott on everything and I'm Squidzy on Instagram. Eat squid and squid eat squid on Twitter. I'm so bad. Uh, and please rate and review us wherever you get this podcast because the more ratings we get, the more the show will get bumped up and the more people will discover it and join our lovely kick-ass community of Golden Girls fans. Hey, Emerson, I don't know if you know what to do here, but you need to say, we, together we're all going to say, stay golden, but it's after we say a little thing. You'll know it. I'll prompt you. Okay, go. Okay, Carrie, let's do it. And as, and al- as always, remember... Stay Stay golden! golden. We did it! Yeah!